0: What is up, Disciple Makers from across the globe? This is Dave Stovall, your host. You're listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. Today, we've got Relational Discipleship Network. We're going to be hearing from Jim Putman, Scott Harris, Bob Reed, and Mark Moose Bright. I still have no idea what that means, but they're asking the question, what is relational discipleship? How do I live this out in all areas of my life? Within home, church, and the world, how do you set the DNA of a relational disciple-making environment, and how do leaders create a relational environment that is intentional about making disciples of Jesus? If you're listening to this podcast, this is going to be near and dear to your heart. This is the main reason why we have this podcast going in the first place. So hope that you enjoy this episode. This is Relational Discipleship Network. Enjoy the episode, everybody.
1: You guys, I'm Luke Moose. I'm the director of the RDN. It's great to see you all here tonight. We're going to be doing a, a conversation with Jim and Bob for about 10 minutes each, and then we're going to do a Q&A with the panel, and then we're going to kick it to you guys for some discussion. So that'll be our format. On your table, if you guys will pull up the cards that have DS1 on one side and our information about the number on here. Uh, our next step in the journey with the Discipleship Network is our DS1 experience, which is two days of us doing a training, you guys walking through and journeying relational discipleship because we believe it's done in relationship. And so it's not just to come get some materials or read a book or digest some content. It's actually you guys experiencing and walking it through with your teams. And Bob's going to talk about some of that, how it impacted him in his ministry journey. Our core fundamental philosophy is this. You cannot get the results of Jesus when you separate the the teachings of Jesus from the methodology of Jesus. Jesus taught in a relational environment, and that's how he made disciples. And so what we do is we help churches make the shift from a traditional model of maybe putting out some, you know, feed in the field for the sheep, and then they're on their own, and they go their way, and whatever happens to them, maybe we show little affluent in some small groups, to an intentional model of investing in people and raising them up and challenging them, walking in life with them, knowing them. Uh, Jim and I just had a three-minute conversation about what's just happening in our personal lives before we get on this stage because we journey with each other, we know each other, and that's our priority is that relationship. And from that dynamic, we're able to grow and change and be made in the image of Christ in a relational environment. Uh, Up here on this board is our schedule. So this is a kickoff session. We have three more sessions tomorrow. You guys can snap a picture of it. We've got it here and also on your way out. So our intention would be and hope that you would journey through this entire process with us because it's built out to be one reinforcing the others. So if you guys can come back tomorrow, we'll be in the same room, and we'll journey through these subject matters as well. I'm going to tell you guys uh, quickly my story, and then I'm going to bring Jim and Bob up. I grew up in a church, and... At 12 years old, I was sitting in big church, and I had this thought. I think that there's a God, but I'm not sure that these people have any idea who he is. And the reason that I thought that is because when I was behind the scenes as a 12-year-old, because you're unaware of your own flaws as well, uh, I didn't see the passion and the conviction and the life that I was being told from the pulpit, And so it didn't match up to me. And as a 12 year old i couldn't reconcile that and so i set out to make myself my own god and made a mess of it and uh, after my dad was killed and going to the trial for that i encountered a young man who was working at a gas station who was jesus to me and he loved me well and uh, looked after me and wiped my windows and filled my car and I just remember him being dead broke and not really having any resources in his life, and yet he had something that was magnificent. And so I just asked him one day, Robbie, what's your story? What's your deal? And he just said, Mark, you just got to try Jesus. And that was it. And four nights later, there was seven of us, 19, 20-year-olds in a backyard. who started starting a Bible study. and starting to pursue God because ended up being a church in Southern California and 20 mission organizations that grew out of that core 7. But one of the key things that we discovered as 19 and 20 year olds in reading the Word was we were supposed to have people over us showing us the way and investing in us and we went out looking for people to do that. We drove all over Southern California trying to find a leader, a pastor, a group that would invest in us and we couldn't find it. We could not find it. Uh, The first time I encountered, I've been in ministry for 30 years, and the first time I encountered somebody who was willing to make that investment, to pour in, to journey with me in life, was when I was living in North Idaho, and I walked into a church meeting in a movie theater called Real Life Ministries, and I met Jim Puffin. And for the first time, there was someone who was really intentionally willing to uh, come alongside and invest in and journey with me in that. And so that ministry, that philosophy, that Core conviction from the scripture alone finally found its its maturation and its voice in Jim in my life. So Jim and I know each other for about 25 years, and you guys welcome to the stage. So uh, so I asked him to do a little Chevy Chase call on his way up because I figured you guys might be sleeping, so that was his Chevy Chase impression. And this is Bob Reed, Bob Reed, you know, the okay. chair of our board. Yeah, did you trip him?
2: I didn't, but I wish I did. Yeah. Dude, you're never going to let that down. You want to have Bob go, go first? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no. It, it, it's fair enough that it happened, but who it happened in front of? I will I never hear the end of this as long as I will. <laughs> and it's
2: on camera. Love it. <laughs>
3: Safe. <laughs> oh, Jimmy. Oh, where to go from here? <laughs> well, let me just say this: um, uh, I was discipled by somebody, and I uh, and that changed my life. I don't remember a sermon he ever preached, but I remember talking to him at night. I remember him driving miles to talk to me and to work through my questions and my and uh, and so I actually, if, if I would have had to rely upon what most people get, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be a Christian, um, and. When I got into ministry, um, my goal was to go, okay, remember I, you may not know this, but I come from a sports background. You wouldn't be able to tell that by what you just saw, but um, I was a a a wrestler, so I'm used to following
4: up.
3: It's my friends that are laughing the loudest. What do you think that means? Um, You know, I, I, uh, I understood sports. Uh, and I understood if you were to ask me when I got, uh, you know, when I went through that, if you were to ask me what I was a disciple of, I would have told you I'm a disciple of wrestling. And my disciple maker said, well, how did you become a disciple of wrestling? And so he went through this process of discussing how that worked and what had made me a disciple of wrestling so that I was actually able to train other people to wrestle. And he said, Jim, everything you just said is actually right there in Scripture. Jesus actually did that. Then my question was, well, then why is the church not doing that? I mean, if I were to use an example, if I were to use, an example, um, if I were to use um, the church's methodology for making a wrestler, what would that look like? Well, once a week... For an hour, I would have a stage where I had somebody up here, like Bob, for laughing at me. i was to show him a single leg a time or two, and, and I would show him, and, and, and I'm going to, guys, watch this. We're going to do a single leg. And, and after I'm done doing that, we're going to sing for a few minutes about how great wrestling is. Wrestling is <laughs> wonderful. Wrestling is great. Praise wrestling. And then we might have a cracker. Since we're starving in wrestling, let's have a little cracker and a little juice, right? And we're going to remember wrestling and, and, uh, and then I'm going to say, Hey, come back next week and I'll show you a double leg. Um, what would be the best I would ever get out of using that methodology in wrestling? <laughs> the best I would get would be, um, informed spectators. Who could go, oh, that's a single leg. Could you actually do one? No. Especially on a moving target. And and so the question was, what if I were to use what we learned in wrestling, and I were to apply that to the church? Well, we'd get Jesus' methodology. I'm going to show you something. We're going to do it together. I'm going to let you practice it. We're going to try it. We're going to work it through. I'm going to answer questions for you. I'm going to have you two do it together. And then we're going to start speeding things up. And then we're going to give you opportunities to play. And then I'm going to actually let you uh, go out and, and try it. And then we're going to come back and debrief it. And we're going to, and you, what would you get? Now, what you get is if you were to use Jesus' model for Christianity, you'd get people that actually can wrestle for their own family. Men who actually know how to be a spiritual father because they've seen one. Not just heard about it. They, got, they had relationships. What would that look like? And so in the next few days, guys, oh, here's what we're doing. We can only give you a taste of what we're doing. We we'll give you some concepts to challenge you to encourage you. Uh, to, to tell you this, that when it comes to RDN, nobody gets up on this stage that isn't a practitioner. Um, in the same token, in our church, if you're not in a small group, leading small groups, you don't get to be an elder. You don't get to stand on that stage because we will not celebrate Somebody with a nice idea. We celebrate people that didn't know how to be on the front lines and reproduce. Now, if you can reproduce as a disciple maker, then we'll give you a chance to speak on stage if you have that gift. But if you can't do it in your personal life and you're not actually making disciples personally, you don't get the stage. You don't deserve it. Because you'd be asking people to do something you yourself are not doing. Because the goal is not to to gather a crowd, it's to raise up and release an army wherever they work, live, and play. You're asking, actually asking them to do something in their own life, not just come and next week watch me do this. I'm actually trying to raise up wrestlers who can wrestle and teach their children to wrestle. This is an army you're releasing out there, spiritual leaders in their homes if they're men partners in that if they're women people who know how to raise up their children and how's that going to happen? they're going to need a model they didn't learn it in the world and they didn't learn it from Christians in the church that's why they bring them to youth groups so that you can go to the youth group show and they'll do it for you because I'm too busy and I wouldn't know how to anyway what we're doing doesn't work as a coach I know this I've got a lot of people that don't really know how to wrestle I get that I also know that, that we can even use words we like to use biblical words but we don't have the same definitions and we don't even actually have accurate definitions of the words we use so in any given crowd I've got people I can say the word love and they think it means one thing and somebody else thinks it needs another I can use the word church and uh, that one person thinks this is one thing and whether the other person's looking for some why because they got a thousand different coaches or or people out there saying using the word differently and and uh, so there's not alignment, and the Bible is very clear: a house divided can't stand. Uh, the Tower of Babel is an example of you can do one thing one day, change the language, and do nothing with the same talent the next day. And so, as a coach, I know I have different people who have different languages, uh, different levels. They it, it, uh, uh, they have very little alignment. And so, what we try to do is we try to say if we're going to be a disciple then we better have an accurate understanding of what that is. So we want to align all of our church. We're going to release disciple makers, and then we want them to understand what we're actually talking about. And by the way, when Jesus said, go make disciples, he didn't mean go do it any way you want. He meant, I just did it with you, now go do what I did with you. And, and he didn't mean go do it any way you want. He didn't mean do what you want. He didn't mean do it any way you want. It. He had actually showed them how to do it, and then they went out and did it exactly what he did and somewhere along the line there's been a gap between what he meant and what we're left with and that gap is what's killing the church so let me just say a couple things what we want to get to is back to the bible when it comes to understanding that the the go and teach people to obey all that it's commanded we actually believe that there is a faith that was once for all delivered to the saints if you teach a different gospel than the one that we've given you already, Paul said, let, if it comes from an angel in heaven, let them be condemned. There is not just a, when it's content for the faith, that doesn't mean just doctrine, it means lifestyle. There is a church that Jesus had in mind. And our job is not to give people what they want, but to give them what Jesus wanted them to have, because God has no desire or obligation to bless our form of the church. He only blesses his. And so what we do is we take leaders, and I can't tell you how many times over the years I've got leaders from different churches sit at the same table, and I say, "Hey, you guys are here to make disciples. Now, each of you, without talking to each other, write down what a disciple is. And how many times do you think, in all those years, the same church has the same definition for the same word? It's like calling a play in a huddle, and nobody understands the same language. Doesn't matter your talent if you don't have it; you're not aligned. And so what we do is we go back to the beginning we say, here's what a disciple is. Now, here's how disciples are made. When Jesus said, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he embedded in that verse a methodology. We say it this way, and the invitation is the definition. Come and follow me. You're not a disciple if you won't follow Jesus. He says, I'll make you. You're going to be in process. I'll take you as you are, but I'm going to change you into something else. You're following me. You're being changed by me. And you're committed to my mission. You're going to be fishers of men. And by the way, some people go well that was for the disciples what did they call the first church until antioch the disciples the disciples meant the disciples met. everybody is supposed to be a disciple you're not supposed to be a spectator you're not supposed to be sitting on the bench you're supposed to be in the game you're a disciple how are disciples made? Invented in Matthew four nineteen is a process, and, there's, and Jesus showed you what he meant from Matthew four nineteen until he sent them out in Matthew twenty eight, and then the early church did exactly they met they, they heard the message, then they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Everything they did in Acts two forty two and following is a result of the teaching they were given. It, it devoted the apostles' teaching. The teach the, the apostles taught. What Jesus commanded them to teach. And our job is to get back to the teachings and the methods. And that works in every culture, everywhere around the world. We've seen it happen. You know, who did he use? Regular, everyday people. Fishermen. The heroes were never the guys. That's why they told on themselves in the Gospels. And I remember when I didn't believe in, I studied Christianity. is was unique in all history because Jesus didn't write the Gospels. The disciples did. And who were the buffoons in the Gospels? The disciples. They told on themselves. The only hero in the story was Jesus. And he used regular everyday people. And you have regular everyday people in every church. The same kinds of people that Jesus used. But instead we got to go on from a Bible college. Because we're too busy preaching sermons to make disciples. It's time to get back to Jesus's method because our way isn't working and the church is in a mess and those who are contending for the faith together are going to be the ones who survive that's what this whole thing's about that's what our materials about it's a call out you don't want to be called out go to a different session thanks <laughs>
2: First off, I'm I'm just proud of you for being at a session at 815 at night uh, because that's incredible. So thank you guys for coming. And I'm curious what what caused you, you don't need to tell me right now, but I am really curious what caused you to end up coming here because it was in 2012 that I was uh, leading a church in Florida uh, that I was incredibly frustrated. And I don't know what roles you have, whether you're uh, serving in your church as a volunteer or on staff, whatever the case may be. Uh, But I was unbelievably frustrated because I felt like I was trying to leverage as much influence as possible on a stage to try to get people to take a next step, to get into a small group. And at the end of the day, I'm hoping stuff is sticking. How do you know? Like, I'm going to stand before God and give an account for how our church made disciples. And I really... Don't know. When I'm looking statistically, I'm seeing all kinds of marriages in the church falling by the wayside, ending in divorce, pretty much almost at the same rate that it seemed like as outside the church. Yet we're supposed to have the answer. We're seeing over 80% of students leaving our youth ministries, walking away from their faith once they go off to college. And again, I ask, like, how are we winning? I mean, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, but yet it feels like it. And We're leading these churches, and so I was frustrated because I was responsible to figure this out, I felt like, and going to give an account before God, and I didn't have a good answer. I was very educated, Bible college, seminary, the whole deal. I had all of that, but was never personally discipled. I was mentored, but never discipled, educated but not disciple. And so I went to our small groups guy and he said, you know, Hey, I said, Hey, listen, this is not your fault. I just want to figure this out. He hands me this book. I'm like, great. Really? Another book. And, and, and it was the relational discipleship book, Jim wrote. It. And, and I'm telling you, I devoured it in two days. Because it resonated, I, I was a former athlete, and, and, and again, just resonated with the language of it, and I'm going to say a lot, a lot of the things were resonating with me as far as understanding some of the stuff that Jim mentioned, and I just kept reading and reading and reading and just going, this is what this is what we're missing, and so I took a number of guys, I said, listen, we're going to pick this thing apart, we found out they had a workbooks, so I'm like, let's just go, because here's what I would find, guys would go to... Church conferences, something like this, they would find a successful church leader, right? Because it means their church is big. That's usually what that's called. And, and you just go, well, I'm just going to go to their church, figure out what they do, and then we're going to come back to our church and just do what they do. Hopefully, it's the next church growth, you know, pill that we're going to take. Drove me crazy. I'm like, we're not doing that. But I want to figure out, they had to ask questions and figure out, because like North Idaho, like seriously like what's going on there right and so but there is a movement of god i mean how in the world does that 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 area have a church that's eight thousand plus people making disciples like crazy and i'm like i want to figure this thing out and so we started going through it well they would have these things at the time it was called something else now we call them ds1s and some of the stuff's at your table whatever and but they they were all sold out this is like in may i'm in florida southwest florida the first one that they had available was in November, okay? Who wants to go to Idaho in November when you live in Southwest Florida, right? And so it was the first one available, so I'm like, great. So they took care of it, booked it, had a couple elders that were going to go. We're literally on the flight heading there and, and I lean over and I was like, how many people are going to be? Because I was used to going to one, you know, conferences with thousands of people, whatever. And I'm like, hey, how many people are going to be there? And he's uh, like, oh, I don't know, they, they, they intentionally keep it, per- it's like going to be like 80 to 100 people. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Because here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to have to talk with people that I really don't care to talk to and act like I'm interested. Because all I'm, literally, all I'm going for, like I'm not interested in the conversation, like all I'm going for is I want to figure out. Like what did you have to think through and work through to get where you got? Because I'm going to figure it out in my context. I want to. I want to know this, right? Like, what are, what are the what are the silver bullets, so to speak? And uh, so, going in with a bad attitude. So, get there. Very first thing out of the chute wrecks me. Just wrecks me. And God doesn't stop. Like the whole two days is just this stuff that God is doing over and over again in me through this two day. Because it's really a two day experience of walking through Jesus' methodology of discipleship, and and so. You know it was powerful It was great i'm taking some books out to my rental car and it was really cold and there was a leaf on the ground and it was it wasn't an audible voice but i felt like god said hey you know bob something something in you like that leaf needs to die like, that's weird so i'm like i suck so up my books and go in we finish we head back we're, we're flying back on a saturday night i'm gonna preach the next morning from west coast to east coast and just studying and writing and reading and in the midst of working on my message uh God really makes it super clear to me what needs to die in me. So we land and go to bed, get a few hours sleep, get up the next morning. Literally, and some of you maybe have experienced this, when you're, when you're up preaching, and uh, I'm in the middle of, of preaching to our church, and, uh, and I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, I want you to share what I told you needs to die in you. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm preaching, right? You know? And so, so anyway, trying to convey the message that God had laid on my heart. And, uh, and literally, the voice of God was so uh, overwhelming to me that I literally just shut my Bible and, uh, and just told the church. I said, um, I can't seem to get past what the Lord is telling me to tell you. Last night, I was flying home from this conference on discipleship, and, uh, and I really believe God wants to do a work here at our church. But here's what God made clear. Uh, he said that something in me needs to die. And what that is, is that my relationship with Jesus has become very professional as a pastor. Because week in and week out, I step off the stage, and guess what? Sunday's coming next week, and I better have a really good message. And going into his word is just a grind, has become a grind for me. And so I'm telling you as your pastor, I'm repenting, because the Lord made it clear, if he's going to do a work and create a disciple-making movement here at our church, it's going to have to first start with me. And I'm going to have to learn how to become more intimate with my father. And I'm just telling you, that was a huge lesson not only for me but for our church is that if you want to lead a disciple-making culture and create a disciple-making culture, it's going to first start with you. Humbling yourself, recognizing and acknowledging that you desperately need Jesus and you're not going to do this with just your skill and talent. And so then kind of going back to my elders, and this was such a deep conviction for me that uh, I told our elders, I said, guys, listen, um, we've already made pretty, quite a bit of change in the first year and a half that I've been here. This will be a significant change. And if you think it's too much change for our church to handle, I totally get it. And I will graciously resign. And I don't use that as a power play. I'm telling you, I am so convicted that I can't go back and keep doing church the way we've been doing it, even though it was successful. I can't keep doing it that way because I believe I'll be in sin. Because that's how deep the conviction is that I've got to make disciples in relationship the way that I've now understood relational discipleship. And we had been journeying journeying for about five or six months ahead of time before we ever went to this thing. A couple of the guys went with us. And they said, no, 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 we we want to make this shift as well. We just don't know what we're doing. I said, Great, neither do I. (laughs) So we're gonna we're gonna figure this thing out. And literally, for the next year, almost a year, eight months, but a year from when I wanted to kick this off at our church, we just spent time learning what does it mean to be in relationship and begin to follow Jesus and begin what does it look like to actually make a disciple of Jesus? And to see elders looking you know, as we're, as we're studying, we're working through this and they're looking at some of the what we call the phrases from the stage, like the stage of spiritual growth and seeing things that what, what will an infant say? What will a child say? Uh, and, and recognize and acknowledge and they're like, yeah, we say some of those things. So what does it look like for us to go lead to maturity and then become a reproducible disciple maker? And I share all that because it had a profound impact on our church and it had an even more significant impact in my home. Had a huge impact on my marriage. We have four kids. Uh, Our fourth one, our our last one, is graduating college uh, next month and getting married. He's uh, already gotten a job as a student pastor. Our other three uh, are all involved in ministry, uh, serving the Lord, all married. We've got three grandkids. And all four of my kids, and I say this not, I'm telling you, it's not as a reflection of me, of this method that we really go around sharing about and we've lived out for the last, whatever, 11 years, is that each one of our kids know what a disciple is and know how to make disciples and have been reproducing disciples for years now. And so as, as you think about your own home, this isn't about leading something at your church, but as you think about in your own home, what does it look like for you to lead the culture in your home to become a disciple-making movement so your kids and their spouses will become disciple-makers. So as we talk about this over the next few days and we look at what does relational discipleship look like, I just want to encourage you. If you're looking for the next church growth uh, pill, I promise you this is not it. Because this will cost you significantly. It's one of the hardest, most painful Uh, methodologies I've ever been a part of. Uh, There are so many times I've told Jim, Jim, I'm telling you, man, if I wasn't so deeply convicted, this is what Jesus has called me to, I would go back to the old model because it was safer. When you think about it, what did it cost Jesus to make disciples? His life. And it's exactly what it will cost you. Thanks, guys.
1: Uh, Scott Harris, and Bob, Scott, and Joel, where are you guys at? We have these guys coming up. We're going to have some people roaming the room with some mics to do some Q and A with you guys. But uh, the first question I'm going to ask these guys is what it looks like to set disciple-making DNA in their specific churches. So I'm going to have them answer that question. We've got churches of all different sizes and shapes and regions of the country represented here: red states, blue states, big, small, and in the process, guys that have planted this way, guys that have. Taking churches to this model from a model that was not that way, so we'll just come on down the line. You're going to hand this mic down, and what does it take? What it look like
5: for you to set disciple-making DNA in your church? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm uh, I'm from Kingsport, Tennessee, northeast part of the state, up at the uh, Virginia North Carolina border, and uh, so I'm in a church of about uh, 400. Uh, So I'm not as big as some of these guys, depending on what kind of environment you come from, but uh, uh, for us. We were making a shift from being a a kind of church. We had small groups as part of the DNA and structure of our church, but it was primarily about transfer of information. To just go, we're going to have somebody who's going to teach a group. We're going to have things that are going to be about me giving you some things that you can learn and know and and have a deeper understanding of God's Word. Uh, But it wasn't done in a relational context. There was no follow-up to it. There was no life transformation that was coming forward. And so for us, the big shift was... Getting involved in the DNA of our church, what it looked like to be relational in those things, Uh, what it looked like not to to just want you to know the Bible better, uh, but how you were going to live it out and what you were going to do to, to make Jesus the core component of every part of your life where you live, work, and play. And so for us it was making that shift of going we want this to go from a head knowledge about Jesus to knowing Jesus and then walking with him uh, and helping him really uh, have the core element of every part of your life so that then you want to reproduce that love for Jesus in others uh, and so part of the DNA for us was just that shift in the mentality of what are groups about what is our church about uh, and how do we inform that and involve that in every layer of our church staff elders small groups worship ministry youth ministry children's ministry that all of it kind of gets into the dna of just being relational making disciples the way that jesus did the methods of jesus the message of jesus
3: all of those kind of things we planted the church 25 years ago but i worked in 10 years of the, in church ministry which is why i planted the church and uh you know you can only lead up so far and then then sometimes you have to go ah, you know i can't i don't have a choice of abandoning the church church is god's idea but this isn't going to be healthy for me for my family so i decided to plan a church that's not the case with the, most of the guys up here in some ways planning a church is more difficult in some ways it is not near as difficult as what these guys have had to, to do and so, um, you know, we train church planners. We we put people into small groups where so they get to talk with people who've actually shifted churches all around the nation and the world. So it's not just something that works in North Idaho. It works in Africa. It works in South America because Jesus is methodology. I'm pretty sure He knew how He made people. All right. So yeah. So the way so. Uh, I've had that privilege
2: of leading this at two different churches now. and So the, what, the church I'm at now, I've been there for the last five years, and it's in Houston, Texas, and uh, Cyprus, Northwest Houston. Anyway, so we, when I came in, uh, immediately started pouring in relationally with the staff. And so the, the challenge that you will have if you're, if you're a lead pastor um, or in, in leadership is that you've got all the reasons and excuses why you don't have time for this. And I, and I would just strongly encourage you to work past that to prioritize the relationship because they needed to experience what I was talking about. They had heard the language before, but they had never experienced it. And so, as, as you know, there's different resources out there that are great that I could share with you at some point. But I would say, really pour in and invest in your staff and to your elders, and create the culture that you're wanting uh, to see happen. And so, for us. Uh, It became uh, absolutely essential that one, that we were gonna experience this relationally. Uh, They were gonna come to my house. Uh, We were gonna spend time together. Uh, We we were going to do things outside. They, They were required to be outside meeting with people. Uh, as well, if they were in the office all the time, that was not a good thing because that means you're disconnected from being in relationship with people. And So I wanted them to make sure, you know, it was all, when I met with them, I want to know where their relationship is with Jesus, how they're doing with their spouse, what's going on with their kids. And so everything I was doing, I wanted to make sure it was reproducible, that they knew I cared deeply about them, not just the work that they were going to do. And so you're so create, if you're going cre- to want a relational discipleship culture, you've got to model it. You know, have them experience it and begin to then after they when they start giving it away that you're kind of checking to make sure is it is it what you are wanting to see as far as them reproducing the kind of culture that you're going after. But I would say the biggest thing is going to start with you personally investing in them, uh, taking a, an interest, caring for them, spending time outside of the office with them. You know, when I started in ministry, the, the senior pastor was a student pastor. And the senior pastor told me, he said, listen, if, and this was what was ingrained to in me through seminary as well as the first place I was at, is that listen, if you want a friend, go hire one. He's called a counselor. But don't ever get close with anybody on your staff or or people in the church because they will burn you. Now, I'm gonna ask you: was some of that very true? Absolutely. But I still believe something was super broken about that. And so that's something that we've chosen to say, hey, listen, yep, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard, but we believe that Jesus is called to be a, us to be in relationship with one another because that's what he did with his disciples. So anyway, that's what said like Yeah, awesome.
4: All right. Uh, great answers. I love it. I never get tired of other stories, just so you know. Um, my name is Scott Harris. I'm the lead pastor at North Shore Christian Church in Everett, Washington. We probably are uh, in the neighborhood of 1,200 or so. Uh I don't know the number exactly. COVID's still doing its magic. Um, so, um, and I have kind of two relational discipleship stories. Uh, the first church I was just an associate pastor in. That story I'm going to say until the fourth session. So I'll come back and I'll tell you that. because it's a Great story. Um, the church I'm currently in now uh, was a church that was a hybrid, attractional model, kind of a saddleback, little creek thing, you know? And it, I would call it a fast food uh, kind of church. And we gave you what you wanted right now, right away, in, flash, out. Uh, and then when that church uh, began uh, to evaluate our church, uh, we found out we were shallow. We were not making disciples. And it was really what was happening in Post Falls um, that got the church's attention. Uh, and it was uh, Jim's book that asked the hard questions that you just got asked, and then Bob asked you as well. And our church asked ourselves, and we had a very painful reality. Um, And so that started the shift. And again, uh, uh, a long story, but two things. I would say this is uh, shifting the church started with really getting the goal dialed in. Understanding we were called to be disciples, we make disciples. And then understanding what that meant. What is a disciple? Uh, Jim showed a story, which was true of our churches, that there was not a common definition. Everybody understood the word disciple by the word alone, but everybody had their own definition. So getting that target definition down, um, and then understanding the methodology, looking to Jesus. And then a radical shift. And this, I could go on forever about this, and I won't right now. You'll hear about it over the next four sessions. We moved from a fast food church to gourmet food. Uh, if you interview a gourmet cookers, you understand it's about slow prep. It takes time. It's hard work. But the result of that is healthy longevity. And we're talking in terms of eternity. Uh, and so we just had to slow down and look deep, work deep, and do the hard work. And as Bob shared, uh, we found out it was a lot more difficult. A lot more painful, but a whole lot more rewarding. And we saw people grow in spiritual maturity like we've never seen it before. So Yeah. So this
1: session we've got the question up behind us that says Mature Disciples mature disciples are made in authentic relations relational environments. And that's the question that they just answered. How do you do that? And you've got to do it genuinely. You've got to do it from the top down. You have to do it. So one of the things I say every single time we do this event is, if you think you're going to take this home and announce the revolution, stop right now. <laughs> do not announce the revolution. You have to do it long before you're starting to talk about it. And then, as they're experiencing it, and as they're journeying it, as have impact in their lives, then you can tell them what you're doing. You can be intentional about it, and you can invite them into that process. But to get to that, that maturity point, they have to have seen it and have to have witnessed it. So as much as Jim intentionally invested in me, the best thing that ever happened was me hanging out with him on a Thursday night and our meeting was over and he was meeting with a staff member and he just said, hey, why don't you hang back? And so I, I sat back in the room and uh, heard the staff member come in, the staff member wanted to debate some of the rules and guidelines about how pastors conducted themselves at public settings about not being seen out drinking or doing this or doing that or whatever it was, I got to see how Jim handled that staff member. I got to witness it. I got to watch his body cadence and his delivery. I got to watch the response from the guy he was talking to and being there in that presence. And isn't that what Jesus did? They saw it. He didn't come back and tell them stories about what he did. They were there with him, and they saw it happen. And so my my number one rule would be don't do anything alone. Whatever you're doing, grab someone, take them with you, let them walk with you, debrief. Make mistakes and tell them you made mistakes when you talk with them on the backside. Because that's the other mistake we make is this expectation of perfection that nobody can possibly reach and because we're the ones holding the definition, nobody thinks that they can achieve it. So we debrief our failures with people as well. It's massively powerful. So we've got a couple guys with mics that are gonna walk around. If you guys have questions, throw your hands up and they'll get to you. Uh, this is question and answer. Y'all with me? Question, answer. And uh, reading your resumes is not allowed, so don't start off reading your resumes. You jump in here and let me know who you are, where you're from. Uh, but let's keep it tight on, on the question side. Of it. All right,
5: go on for you do. Me,
1: so, just a question, uh, Bob. You mentioned how you got tired of the Sunday routine that just wasn't working. What does Sunday mornings look like for you now, or
2: did the shift happen more? monday through saturday more than a sunday
4: yeah that's a
1: good
2: question you know because there's still the reality of meetings and you know study and prep and all, all those things i would say uh my intimacy with the lord has totally been a game changer so that's been life-giving to me uh, so that that's a whole nother conversation that, that we could have but um i would say i've prioritized Uh, And and it's been different, different seasons of my personal life. So when my kids were younger, they were all in sports. And so I prioritized going to their games and being involved and and doing all that kind of stuff uh, because I wasn't going to abandon the family for the sake of ministry. I wanted them to know that, you know, um, they were the top priority of ministry of mine. Uh, And so, uh, but I would look at my calendar and, and prioritize spending time with my staff inside and outside the building, elders, what does that look like? um the guys i'm discipling so like right now i've got four different guys i'm discipling i lead a small group uh as well as a men's group and so those are those are things that i like we ask people in our church to do those things and they work jobs and so you know that's what we expect our staff to do as well uh and so it's it's this constant giving away trying to invest personally in them so i've had to look at at this stage and also the season of our church like where what's the greatest part that I can give away to pour and invest in our, our staff and to the leaders of our church. And so that's where I try to really prioritize, uh, my time. And So, um, it's, but I would say a high majority of it is, is in relationship and, um, but before then, man, I like, I I remember talking to a guy he said, you know, if I, if I don't, if I like getting to the goal is one thing, but if I don't get to the goal with people, I feel like I failed. I'm like, dude. I don't care if I have anybody with me. Like, I'm gonna get to the goal, and I'm like, something is wrong with that. But that's how I felt. And, and learning how because I was gonna win at all costs, and so I had to learn what does it mean to be in relationship. Because I, the big sin in my life has all has has been self reliance, and so it's constantly dying to this area of my life that just naturally goes to you know being being by myself self-reliant um and inviting people and about so it's been very intentional to me because i'm a relational person but i would naturally gravitate to being alone and so i've had to it's, it's it has to be a, a practice in my life or I'll, I'll naturally gravitate to what my flesh just naturally goes to does that make sense yeah yeah um hi
5: um i'm obviously not a church leader just a lay person um so a lot of you are talking from the
0: perspective of church leadership obviously.
5: What do
1: you say to someone who is here like myself who is just a lay person and we, we I hear what you're saying and I but how do I get that message to the church leadership? What what advice would you give to someone
3: like myself? Well I'll be honest with you there isn't a lot of churches that are intentionally making disciples so if you're a lay person um, they may have a class you can go to um, but what I always tell people is no one's going to stop you from being and making disciples I mean even if you're a staff member where you can't get the church to change that doesn't mean that you can't decide to personally make disciples in relationship not only does that change your perspective in your, your people being to the Lord, but it actually changes you the way you do everything. And so, um, you know, I actually, uh, the manual that we use was for church leaders. I actually wrote something that Navigators is going to be putting out called The Journey, and it's for an individual who is not in a church. It starts from the bottom. They're in the church, but they're not being disciples of the church. So it's not coming down from the top. It's working up to the bo- from the bottom up and uh, and so because of that reality you deciding to actually make disciples and then leading up as much as you're able with the influence that god has given you you know handing somebody a book and saying hey i met these guys and and in whatever conference you're at or wherever you can pass those things on and they decide to read them or they don't right i mean that's not your responsibility but uh i don't think any christian can survive what we're dealing with unless they have the family of god around them that was how we were meant to survive and lonely people um isolated people are you know you're, you're allowing the devil to do with you what he desires um you know think like it's proverbs that it says a man who separates himself quarrels against all sound wisdom and he seeks his own desire
4: yeah.
3: and so um ecclesiastes 4 what a miserable business no friend no brother Um, and so you personally being a disciple learning to do that and the big thing is is most pastors I know were never disciples the way we're talking about which is why we want them to come to our conference it's small enough you actually experience the difference between a small group and a discipleship group there's a big difference but as a leader let me just say this Um, a good leader goes first And he's willing to If you're going to ask other people to do something They don't know how to do Then go first Make mistakes Tell them about the mistakes Because again I don't know how we got to this value of excellence Whereas for me The value is effort and coachability See if you give effort and coachability You get excellent If you never get to play unless you're excellent How do you ever get excellent? That's right and we're, we're changing and we're going, hey, winning is being authentic and trying and failing and getting back up. A righteous man falls six times, he gets up seven. Right? And creating a different kind of way that people can make mistakes. They can fall on stage theoretically. <laughs> or actually. Oh, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, but, you know, and it's okay. Because I, it, failure is a part of the game. Come on. And you can't get good at the game by sitting on the bench. Every rookie has to fail. But somebody has to let them. And what happens is when you start talking about I failed or I did this, people go, oh, oh I don't have to be. They assume you are. It's a, exactly what Mark said. They assume you're perfect and that you know what you're doing. And if you only show them stuff when you are, then, then they the devil will use that to say to these people, you don't know enough, you yeah. aren't smart enough, you aren't good enough, instead of... Hey, I'm saved by grace through faith. And and again, go back to the New Testament. They told on themselves. They wouldn't let it. They were frightened about, I follow Paul. I follow Paul. Paul's like, what are you talking about? He's the one who wrote, that which I wish to do, I don't. That which I hate to do, I keep on doing not yet. And he goes on to Philippians 4. Not that I've already attained it, but pressing on. For How did we get to this place where we got to be the answer, guys, and we're not just trying and Jesus is the hero who gives grace. How did we get there? And what is it doing to us? It's killing
2: us. I want to add to that real quick. Um, so my niece, my wife's niece, um, was, she lives in Pennsylvania. We're in Texas. Uh, she came to Christ, uh, but she had nobody that was discipling her. So she had reached out to my wife, Sue, and said, Hey, would you please disciple me, even though we're from afar? right? So it's not ideal, but Sue was like, Absolutely. I was walking through this for, for a while, just meeting with her every week, just talking with her over the phone. She's a mom, and so navigating that, her marriage, all these kind of things, just walking through scripture with her. And then eventually she's like, How, you know, because she would talk to her, she would cast vision, saying, Hey, eventually, Nikki, I just want you to know we want you to be a disciple maker. And, and so she's like, Well, what does that look like? And she said, well, I would hope at some point, I would love for you to go through this DS1. We do it, you know, explain the DS1. So she flew out from Pennsylvania to Texas on her own dime because she wanted to figure out like the method that we were using because she really wanted to see her church do this. She has no support from the church leadership. And so we've just helped her. So she came out, hugely impacted by it, wants to see it happen in her church, took it back to her senior pastor, uh, he's super skeptical I'm not sure he wants to do anything like that uh, and so we just said that's fine that doesn't stop you from being a disciple maker don't use the excuse that your church isn't doing it so that you can't no, no no you you be a disciple maker find a woman find a girl that you're gonna disciple and just do what Sue did with you and so we started talking to that well then they asked her to leave the women's ministry so then she started pouring in investing and started discipling a group of, of ladies in the church Um, and then after that, she doesn't have a degree exactly, and uh, (laughs) she's not paid, you know, she's just a volunteer, right? And so, Mm -hmm. so she started discipling these ladies. Well, that started creating a stir because it was super impactful, and then all of a sudden, they're like, Hey, what's going on here, right? Uh, and it's a good thing, and so then those ladies started. A Bible study with more women. So now they have in a real small church. They have about 40 ladies now coming to it. It's had a huge impact, and now they're talking about wanting to to bring Sue out to talk about what does it look like kind of relational discipleship. Just because the women are doing, it. there's nothing going on with the men. And so, so again, I would I go back to you to say just be faithful to be where God has placed you to be a disciple maker in your home as well as with the people that God has you in relationship with and just see what God will do with that and, and have the conversation with your leadership. Uh, but if they don't, don't use that as the
3: excuse. Well, then I, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Do it. And also Godly maturity never undermines the leadership. So it's never, well, I wish these guys would do this and they're not. They'll, they'll see that as an attack. You're like, Hey, how do we help you? You become the best servants, humble servants in the church. And they see this as a positive thing. Your women start uh, or whatever men's group or whatever starts badmouthing the pastors and they need to do this and need to do that. No, we're just going to be faithful and servants and be humble and in encouragement. And that changes things from the inside out. Yeah. All right, we got two more. We're going to get you guys out of here on time tonight. Yes. I feel like a couple of you teased
2: us a little bit about it's like the most difficult thing you've ever done. (laughs) Could you expand and share with us a little bit of details about that?
1: you're going to be wounded your confidence is going to be broken people are going to uh, take advantage of position with you people are going to be disappointed in you people are going to set you on a pedestal and when you fall off that pedestal uh, they'll be happy to kick the pedestal over as well and that's exactly what happened to jesus and it's exactly the invitation to the journey that he wants us to go on I want Christ's likeness in his victory, in his resurrection, and his strength, and his power, and his authority, and I don't want it in his betrayal, and his friends turning his back on him, and his family calling him crazy. If you're gonna fully journey into what Jesus has for you, you're going to experience all the things that Jesus
5: experienced. I kind of grew up in an environment, and maybe a lot of you did as well, where the pastor was kind of uh, on a pedestal and never made a mistake, and nobody ever thought he did. He kind of lived out that perception of, like, I'm perfect, and I don't have any problems, and I'm going to preach the truth, and I can't let you see who I really am uh, internally. And When you walk into this relational discipleship method, you you really have to be willing to expose yourself. Uh, I'm not going to be able to to help the guys that I'm discipling uh, be authentic and be real and Really explain what's going on in their hearts. If I'm not willing to do that as well, and so it really it does open up those opportunities uh, for for just the, the the chance to be hurt. Because if I'm gonna I'm gonna be vulnerable, and I don't know what they might do with that. And as a pastor, that's a, that's a really vulnerable place to be standing. All right. so there's there's difficulty in that. And then the reality is, is that we're just we're dealing with with people, right? And we're all sinful. We're all broken. And so we're all going to be struggling. We, at, at our church, we talk about it as like getting in the weeds with people because you're going to have to deal with their addictions. You're going to have to deal with their scars. You're going to have to deal with their hurts. You're going to have to deal with their broken marriages. You're going to have to do like all of these things that if you're just going to isolate yourself to where I'm in front of the church on Sunday morning and I'm preaching messages and I'm just hoping that they're hearing it and having their lives changed by it, well, that's that's a strategy that you can utilize, and a lot of people do that. But if you're going to be willing to get in a group with some people and really open yourself up and disciple them and let them disciple you because it's a two-way street. Right? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that you're going to have to be uh, to be in the weeds with people and dealing with the mess, and dealing with the pain, and dealing with the hurt, and all those kind of things. So that's that's another area that we've just kind of seen how, how challenging it is. Because now you're not just dealing with, let me preach a sermon on Sunday that's polished and great and, and everything. It's like, I've got to deal with the reality of the hurting people in my church, and I've got to be there and walk with them through it. And I'm going to
1: be journeying with them as we go along. Um, Can you guys, we have have an incredible, uh, very small and very young church. And most, most is true. Um, Our young families with very small children and have careers.
3: Our lay, we have lay elders. We have um, lay leaders in every way. So can you guys speak to standards, expectations for very, very legitimately
1: busy people? Define legitimate, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah, Uh,
4: yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh,
5: I you jump in and I'll chase it through something, yeah. That's fine. Um, so I I think for us, and again, our church is smaller than than these guys, maybe larger than yours, but um, but we're always dealing with that that tension of like you're you're going to your kids' games, you've got work, you've got small children at home, you're like, it's busy, so. How much more am i willing to ask people to do Uh, but i think that that's a part of like the just i'm I'm someone who has to take up my cross and bear that with christ so self-sacrifice is a part of that it's dying to myself and 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 being willing to live out some things even when it's hard like i think we and, and i struggle with this in fact when jim was talking earlier i was sitting over there going i think in my own life group that i lead I really struggle with asking people to do hard things that go above and beyond and have expectations put on it. And yet, I think that most people in our church want to be given more to do. Not just to keep them busy, but to give them something to live out that's bigger than they are. Right. And so when you call them to something bigger than they are, that's exciting. Because it changes their family. It changes how they do things at home. Now, I'm, I'm still... I'm busy with my kids, but I have a purpose for what I'm doing. That's bringing them along. So you go back to the Shema, right? In Deuteronomy of going as you walk along the road, and as you lie down, and as you eat your meals, and as you do all these things, talk about your faith and invest them those those into those things. So calling people to that to go, don't just have a meal at home. Disciple your kids while you're sitting at that meal. Don't just take them to soccer practice. Disciple them on the way, right? Like calling them to something. It doesn't have to be just additional things. It's in the ebb and flow of life. How are you making disciples? As you go, make disciples, right? And so that's Jesus' call to us. Uh, But challenging them to harder, bigger things, I think a lot of people want that if they can see the purpose behind it and that it's
3: life-giving on the other side. Not just to be busy work, right? Like nobody wants more busy work. Yeah, I I totally agree with what he's saying, being intentional. But here's the truth. I ask people, hey, how come you're not in a life group? Well, I I can't. be. Well, why not? Um, well, Monday night, I have my daughter play soccer. Tuesday night, my son plays, uh, so, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, and he, and he lists off every night of the week. Now, I want to ask you this question. When did those things become something you had to do instead of doing what Jesus told you to do? Amen. See, part of what we have to do, and because they're so busy, is to say you're... It's called opportunity cost. You're doing some things with the energy that you're expending instead of other things. And part of what I have to call you to do is stop doing some of those things. As a church, when you have them busy with events or busy work that has nothing to do with discipleship, your people only have so much time. You're expending its opportunity cost. You're expending some energy in one direction when it could be used in better. So intentionality is really important. Evaluating how much you're asking your people to do, when you're doing training, the way you're doing You want them to have a healthy life, or they're not going to sustain it. It'll just be a nice idea. They'll burn out. So they're going to have to say no to something, so they say better yes. But that's part of... uh, being intentional with what you do do, thinking about it. Most parents don't really have an intentional idea of what they're supposed to do with their kids. They're just trying to survive day in, day out, week in, week out. We're supposed to be intentional. We're supposed to have a purpose. We're supposed to know what it is. And we make decisions based on that priority scale. And people don't think through those things. So we're saying, hey, part of discipleship is learning the discipline to say no to something so you can say yes to more important things. And making your kids happy isn't your highest priority. So these are that's a part of the discipleship process. Say no to this so you can do that. And when you're a pastor, make sure that you're thinking through what you're asking people to do. Because sometimes you're asking them to do something at the expense of something more important.
1: And, and you, there could be totally legitimate things that they've got going on. It's crazy busy. Like, I'm, I'm, we're not trying to assess that for you. But we are saying, can you guys see my little list right here with little scribbles on here? So this is just a list on here, just scribbles, but this is a triage list, which is what most of us live by. Triage list, what's the most important thing, what's the thing I've got to spend the most time with? And then we triage down that list, the things that fit into our lives. And this is the model that we almost always operate off. This, if you guys can see the center of this, and there's an orbit with these planets that are orbiting around it, is the disciple-making framework. That is, Jesus is at the center of this, and everything in my life finds its orbit and its purpose and its meaning and its gravitational pull around him and around making disciples. So now I'm not triaging a list and I'm giving God 20%. I'm giving you the most of anybody on the list, but all I can give him is 20% because I've got 5% and 3% and 4% and broken it all the way down. So we can just reset that entire thing and just say, we're on mission everywhere that we are. And we're assessing our life's orbit and the gravitational pull to what God wants us to do. And that's this model versus that triage list. So guys, we want to get you out of here. Thank you so much for being here. It's almost 9.15. If you guys will take a picture of the board and journey with us the rest of the time, we're going to be having some questions at your tables as well over the next couple of days. Uh, If you guys will stand with me real quick, I'm going to pray you guys out for the day. So, we're whole beings. We are our body, soul, and spirit. And so if you guys will put your hands up, uh, just positioning yourself physically to say, Lord, I want to receive something from you. So Lord, these guys have come, they've invested, they've spent their time and their energy, they're here. And what I'm praying that you place in their hands right now as they go to bed tonight, what you've highlighted for them, what your heart is for them, personally first, what, what you want to speak to them because you love them. But then also what you're calling them to, that you would make that known that they can walk away with something tangible and feel your good pleasure in it. Give them rest and peace and blessing and wholeness tonight and be with their families that they're separated from. In Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Next up, we've got more from Relational Discipleship Network. They're going to be talking about the intentional leader coaching to win. I remember uh, as I was reading through Discipleship, as Jim Putman and Bobby Harrington's book. One of the light bulbs that went off for me was my role as a disciple maker was not to be the man in the spotlight anymore. I grew up uh, in the church and also spent a lot of time in the Christian music industry, lead singing for different bands. And that was quite the shift for me mentally was to go from being the guy that was in the spotlight being the guy coaching the person in the spotlight if that makes sense the coaching mentality is the disciple making mentality so make sure to stick around to hear that next episode that we've got coming up next all right y'all thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day we'll see ya